You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with my co-host, Gray Williams. We've got a great program for you. We are uh, Canada's number one app and mobile tech program. All about the world of apps for smartphones and TVs and so much more. Later on in the program, we're going to go through our smart TV hacks. And this is a great set of tips and hacks if you have a smart TV or a smart TV box. And I think just about everyone out there does nowadays. So we're going to tell you uh, some fun stuff that you can do with your, your smart TV to make it just a little bit smarter. We'll also be talking with the folks over at JD Powers. Uh, they've done a really interesting uh, survey on Canadians' overall satisfaction with banking and credit card apps. I know it doesn't sound exciting, but it's kind of interesting to see which banking apps are doing the best, which credit card ones are as well. You'd be surprised. And uh, what features that Canadians are looking for to, to make them happier about uh, using online and mobile app banking. But let's talk about some of the, uh, the mobile and app news right now, uh, Gray. This was kind of interesting. Domino's, and this is starting off in the U.S. Uh, you know, they're the big uh, pizza restaurant chain, uh, delivery chain. They have a, a new update coming to their uh, app called Pinpoint Delivery. So if you are in uh, a park or maybe at the beach and you want a Domino's pizza, using that feature, you can have the, deli- uh, the driver come right to you. It's an integration with Google Maps and the, uh, the app. And as long as you're in the delivery zone, you can uh, get that pizza right to your, uh, to your feet, I guess, uh, to your lawn chair. This is absolutely brilliant because I've, I've kind of like clutched my way around this a couple of times, getting things delivered to a, a local address where I'm going to be sitting, just putting the notes, I'll be standing right there. <laughs> you can deliver this to me. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's works, but again, it's kind of clutching. And you usually got to go somewhere where there is a an actual numbered address. Um, whereas, you know, if I'm, if I'm at the beach, if this could get delivered, you know, maybe to the edge of the beach or possibly right to my, my beach chair, uh, this is dangerous. I could have a really, really good time in the summer. Well, it's interesting. I think it'll do well for them. Uh, You know, Domino's has kind of been on the forefront of using technology, you know, as far as uh, deliveries. They actually have a CarPlay app. So if you're in your car, you can order a pizza through your infotainment system. And they had something similar to this uh, pinpoint delivery uh, called Hot Zones. Uh, So if you wanted to uh, maybe have a pizza, you know, at the stadium that you're at, um, they'll have like Hot Zones that you can go out and, and meet the driver. At. So now with pinpoint delivery, it just kind of takes that down to the, the micro, micro level. So be interesting to see how well it does. Uh, not available in Canada yet, but I imagine uh, it would be kind of soon. Also in uh, the, uh, the, the, I guess, the mobile and uh, app news is the, the Microsoft Activision deal. And this has been going on for a while. Microsoft, uh, they, they make the popular Xbox gaming console and... Like a lot of the other guys out there, the Nintendos and Sony Playstations, I think they're realizing that the money is in the content. Content is is king. So, uh, you know, we've always known that they don't really make any money on on the the hardware itself. So these uh, these big companies like the Microsofts and and Sony's of the world have been buying up game publishers. And so Microsoft is trying to buy Activision. It's a sixty nine billion dollar deal. And it looks like now a U.S. judge is temporarily temporarily blocking that. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, looking at the gaming space, um, we've seen a number of these sort of mergers and, and acquisitions. And in Activision's case, like we've seen what they've done to companies like Bungie um, as they were you know, rolling out Destiny and Destiny Two, which 
personally my favorite game. And it, it felt like, you know, in every case, the, the people who ended up worse off for this were both the developers and the gamers. And it really was just sort of the suits that did well off it. I'm, I'm not sure that these sorts of mergers are good for, for anybody in the gaming space. So then putting the brakes on this kind of makes me pretty happy. But in, in what way is it going to help? Like, aren't they just going to be bought by someone else? <laughs> like, isn't Sony going to come in and go, hey, uh, we'll buy them? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, like Activision's pretty big. I'm wondering, I'm looking at it going, y'all are making tons of money as it is. Does anybody actually really need to acquire Activision, the makers of World of Warcraft and Diablo 4 and Call of Duty? I don't think they do. And by by acquiring, by, by one group acquiring this, you know, Microsoft, Microsoft acquiring this for their their Xbox and Windows division, it does put, you know, Sony, Macintosh, and other things on the back foot here. And they always say, yes, of course, we will continue to develop for these other platforms. And it never really works out that way. Sony actually acquired Bungie, you know, again, maker of Destiny 2. And I'm not terribly happy about that. It's not something that I wanted to see. I mean, I'm glad that they're actually getting additional funding to develop this game because Bungie is not Activision. They are a smaller developer in, in context. But still, it's something that I'm not terribly thrilled to see. Well, the European uh, Union, uh, they had blocked uh, the deal for a while as well, but uh, it looks like they've approved the acquisition uh, now. So it's interesting to see Europe say yes and the U.S. go put the brakes on because it's usually the other way around. Well, I, th- I think, I don't know all the details over in Europe, but apparently Microsoft has offered a, a 10-year free licensing uh, deal. But it, it just goes to, to show you how that the whole world of gaming is, is really changing, uh, Gray. You know, we've been a world of consoles, right? You know, we went from, you know, the Atari 2600, ColecoVision and television, uh, you know, the, the Nintendo game systems, the GameCube, Sony PlayStation, Xbox. But it's increasingly going to the cloud and being able to play your favorite games on, on any screen or device. You know what I mean? You can get a, an Xbox pass or a PlayStation pass uh, and play a lot of your favorite uh, games right on your on your phone. Yeah, so essentially it's the edge computing where you're, you know, looking at just a display and a controller being the things that you need in your house, which is is good, I think, from one perspective in that you don't need to buy that expensive hardware. Trying to find a PlayStation 5 a couple of years ago was absolutely impossible. If you didn't have to do that and all you had to do was find a controller and... Uh, and, and something to, to see what you're seeing and hear what you're hearing uh, becomes a whole lot easier of a, of a proposition. Down in the U.S., the Federal Trade Commission is suing Amazon for enrolling customers in its Prime program without their consent and making it hard for them to cancel their subscriptions. This is something called dark patterns that we have talked about uh, on the program uh, before. And it's essentially, uh, you know, these e-commerce sites, uh, you know, really kind of... Um, channeling people into signing up for a service or a subscription um, and, and then just making it really difficult to, to get out. Uh, and essentially, that's what the FTC is alleging that Amazon has done. Uh, you know, if you've uh, you know, tried to buy something on Amazon, uh, they offer all these options uh, to sign up for Prime before you can actually check out. So it's much easier to go through those options and just kind of almost fall into that that monthly or yearly subscription and then just really hard to, to to cancel it. And I've noticed that not with Amazon per se, but you know, a lot of these subscription services in the past, if I wanted to cancel, uh, it, it was not easy. 
I noticed this was actually a whole lot um, more focused on Amazon US than it is on Canada. Canada, they don't do it quite as much. I accidentally did subscribe to uh, Amazon Prime down in the US because there are certain things that will not deliver across the border. I've got a mailbox across the border down there. And so I ordered something, didn't realize I'd signed up for Prime, and three months had gone by before I noticed they were dinging me for $14.99 US a month. Now, I called them up and said, and I actually managed to get that money back as a gift card, but still, that money was spent, and I wasn't terribly happy about it. These dark patterns are something that I personally have experienced, and uh, if they're, they're taking Amazon to task for it, uh, hopefully they're taking other, other uh, retailers to task for it as well, because you can guarantee they're not alone. Well, Amazon, uh, as you can imagine, strongly uh, denies uh, these, uh, these charges, and uh, uh, we'll just have to see how that uh, all plays out. You, you know, Gray, like you, I actually have a, a U.S. Amazon account as well because I live right beside the border, and uh, I love it. There's so many things on Amazon.com that aren't available on .ca, and in many times, uh, if they are available on both, I find it, uh, you know, cheaper on Amazon.com, even with the exchange rate and everything. Yeah, and if you don't have to pay for the duty for it to come across the border at the time, uh, which Amazon is usually charging, you can actually just get the dollar to a mailbox, and perhaps you're down there for you know two or three days, uh, so you can get you can come back without having to declare that. Then great, you know that uh, that works out really really well. It's interesting, Gray, because like I said, I live five minutes from the border, and I, I get actually get quite a bit of stuff <laughs> from uh, Amazon to deliver to my uh, PO box uh, down there. Uh, I find even just going down for the hour to pick it up, they they don't ding me on any taxes or uh, or duties. You know, as long as that it's you know within reason, like a hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars. That that reminds me, there's something in my mailbox down there. Could I get you to grab it for me next weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll 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 check that out. Um, <laughs> this is a, a another story, a Twitter story. What week doesn't go by without some sort of Twitter story? It looks like uh, Twitter is being sued by music publishers for two hundred and fifty million dollars. It's almost a quarter of a billion dollars. So there's a group of seventeen music publishers uh, down in uh, the United States that have sued uh, Twitter, claiming that the platform has enabled copyright violations involving nearly 1,700 songs. This is a good article here on uh, bbc.com if you want to find out uh, even uh, more. But uh, the National Music Publishers Association, the NMPA, is looking to get more than $250 million in damages. That's crazy. It's, it's not surprising. I mean, Elon's been acting a bit like a scofflaw over the last little while, and it's not, not a terrible surprise. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at this and thinking that, honestly, he acts like he's a startup. And he's not... And folks, they're, they're seeing money signs, and it's really not voting well for Twitter. I don't know um, really what the next step is for, for these folks. There are some very easy things that they could be doing to ensure that copyright violations don't happen. They used to be happening. They're not happening anymore. And it seems like go fast, break things is really just kind of going fast and breaking the bank for Twitter. Okay, I want to shout out to a, a contest that we're partnering with uh, Staples Canada on. It's called Boost My Biz, and this is an opportunity for Canadian businesses to uh, to shine, uh, basically enter to tell uh, what uh, they're doing uh, with their business and why they should uh, uh, potentially get one of the prize packs. Uh, to help us understand more, we've got Marissa Harris from Staples Canada on the line. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. And so what kind of businesses is this particular contest uh, open to, and what do they have to do to enter? So 
Staples is a dedicated partner to businesses of all sizes, um, but we also know that small businesses are very much um, a big part of, of our community. And so we want to give back to small businesses. And that's what this contest is all about. It's about giving small businesses a boost. Um, and we also know that not every small business has the same needs. And so we wanted to allow for some customization with the prizing. So we have three different tiers that we're offering in this in this Boost My Biz contest. Um, we have technology. Uh, printing and furniture and supplies and so in order to win we are encouraging um, all eligible Canadian small businesses to tell us a little bit about why their business needs a boost how their business is making an impact um, which also includes how your business is helping the community um, and so from that we were we we're hoping to select a total of six businesses across the country and then we're going to tell their stories it's a great way for not only them getting a boost from the pricing, but also we want to give them a boost as well with giving them some exposure. I really like this uh, because uh, the odds are good too. It's not like this is the Lotto 649 where millions of people are, are entering, right? It's uh, it's basic, right. it's basically businesses. So whether you're like a, a one-person show or you've got dozens or, or hundreds of uh, people uh, in your company, uh, you know, these prize packs, uh, you know, they're, I think, $5,000 each. And, you know, if you want some more tech, uh, if you want some furniture uh, or even printing, uh, you know, this is a, a great opportunity to get a little extra cash in to essentially boost uh, you know, your business. So, uh, we've got a, a link up on our website to make it easier to find uh, the contest. It's, uh, again, getconnectedmedia.com. And if you've got any kind of uh, business, I really encourage you to uh, enter this contest. And, and when is uh, the, um, the contest uh, entry over? So the contest closes on June 30th, so there's still a little bit of time for you to have a look at the contest, also put together your submission. We're also making it really flexible. You can submit in writing, you can also upload a video, um, and you can you know personalize it in the way that's gonna help you um, help position your business to, to get a boost. Uh, again, uh, Boost My Business Contest, uh, go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, partner with Staples uh, on this, and uh, your business could potentially win a $5,000 prize pack and get some extra exposure from all the uh, promotion behind it as well. Marissa, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Mike. Really appreciate it. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and Gray here in studio. Don't forget to... Uh, Enter the Staples Contest. Boost My Biz, we're partnering uh, with Staples to give away $5,000 tech prize packs to Canadian businesses. If you want more information on how to enter, and again, whether your business is like you, like one person or five people or 100 people, just enter. It's super simple to, to do it. Getconnectedmedia.com is the place to go. And again, if you've got any kind of business here in Canada, I, I implore you to enter it. The odds are good. There's six prize packs they're $5,000 each, and it's not like Lotto 649 where millions of people are entering. It's just in the hundreds. So the odds are, uh, again, really good. Well, in the, in the news this past week, no question, uh, it's been the, the lost submarine uh, that uh, has been, uh, was, was exploring near the uh, Titanic wreck. You know, over a quarter of a million dollars to be a passenger on, on one of these, uh, these subs. But uh, some interesting stories, uh, Gray, around some of the uh, the materials and uh, things that went into building the subs. It seems like there, you know, were a lot of kind of off the shelf stuff that you could find at your local hardware store. And in one case, uh, you know, the media made a big deal about the the control system uh, that the sub was being controlled with a forty dollar Logitech gamepad. 
Yeah, I mean, this is fascinating because I actually own one of those, those game pads, and I'm not sure that I would continue using it for video games, um, you know, after <laughs> the amount of time that this thing has been available. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because we've been dealing with uh, issues in gaming with controllers not maintaining uh, a, a consistency in the ability to uh, provide consistent inputs. So there's something called joystick drift. And, you know, they're, they're saying that roughly 60 days to 90 days is how long a lot of these um, these joysticks are able to maintain actual consistency in communication. I, I know, you know, as a kid, I used to have uh, CH flight sticks because I used to play a lot of flight simulators, and I'd calibrate those fairly regularly. But as parts become smaller and smaller, um, they, they wear out far more quickly. This particular device, like Logitech's a great company, they make good stuff, but you know we're looking over a decade old for for this particular style of controller. And really, considering the types of inputs that were put that are put in, the fact that the, that had not been replaced with something newer is it's a little bit shocking. You know, looking forward to how this could change in the future, there's something called Hall effect um, uh, inputs. And that basically, these things here, they, they use a far more advanced, and they use magnets, essentially, to um, sense when things are, be, are being actuated and being input. And so I've got a Hall Effect keyboard. Um, it, it's far more precise, um, and you know, it's a much better way of getting you know, data from the physical world, your, your inputs, into a system. Um, and I think that anyone going forwards that's building something like this needs to use more advanced hardware. Well, when I heard this story at first that they're using a $40 Logitech game controller, I'm like, oh my God, like that's crazy. Why are they using such a cheap uh, like video game controller? But, you know, as I looked into the story more, the, the militaries around the world, actually a lot of them use game controllers in military hardware. For example, the, the U.S. in some of their submarines actually use off-the-shelf Xbox game controllers to control things like the Periscope. And yeah. the U.S. Army, for their, their bomb disposal robots, they use game controllers as well. And the reasoning behind that is that, you know, the technology is there, it's inexpensive, and, you know, most of the recruits, uh, you know, and the, and the member, members of the military are, are pretty familiar with the game controller already. Do you know what I mean? And, and even yeah. in uh, Israel, uh, you know, I think one set of their tanks uh, is controlled with a modified Xbox controller uh, as well. In a lot of cases, you know, they're like kids are playing games that actually mimic the controls of these things directly. Um, you know, my thought with this here is, you know, if, if you're going to use a $40 controller, there better be two or three on board uh, to ensure that if, the one, if one goes wrong, you know, they say two is one, one is none. Um, I'd want to have an extra one on top of that just for safety's sake. So it, it's, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it so much, but I'm, I'm kind of just, again, I'm looking at the technology that's involved in, you know, not so much the, the actual control of the thing, but the robustness of the actual controller itself and saying to myself, this wouldn't have been my choice. We're going to have to take a break here, uh, break here on the app show. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, banks, bank apps and also a little bit later, our favorite smart TV hacks to make your TV just a little bit smarter. Back after this. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Uh, we use our smartphones for everything now. One of the, the big uses, especially for me, is using my online banking app. And uh, we've got an interesting segment now. And it looks like uh, Canadian bank and credit card apps are slow to include personal financial management tools, uh, a J.D. Powers study finds. So we're going to dive into this. We've got uh, a great guest with us uh, today. Uh, her name is uh, Jennifer White, and uh, she is with J.D. Powers. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks, Mike, for having me. I'm excited to talk about these topics with your listeners. So why, why did you guys do this study in the first place? So we know that, you know, the digital experience is one component of the holistic relationship that customers have with their bank or their credit card. And for many customers, that digital reliance, it might not be where they turn to first to get information, but it certainly is a complement once they've had an in-person experience, say, in a branch with a bank. Um, so we have been measuring the growth of digital properties um, among Canada's largest banks for several years now uh, in order to understand what really drives satisfaction and what customers tell J.D. Power, the voice of that customer, tell J.D. Power you need at your fingertips in order to manage your financial lives. So I guess you kind of looked at all the aspects of these um, these these apps and financial tools. Um I think a lot of people kind of just use it for the basics, don't they? You know, just kind of uh, paying bills and, and checking what their online balances are, doing e-transfers and what have you. They do. This study has four key factors that drive satisfaction. And on that list are things like navigation, how easy is it to find things that you wanted you do regularly, like find those transactions or maybe make a transfer of money. And we, we of course, measure visual appeal. We want it to look good. We want it to look similar to the digital experiences we have outside of banking so that we all feel familiar. Uh, we want speed to be good. But then there is this key fourth area, what the information and content really is available to us in the app. Satisfaction today is still highest for those basic transactions that customers want to do, but we're starting to see some new table stakes emerge in different features and functionality, which really rich in the value proposition of using these tools. So again, uh, like you were saying, they, satisfaction is high with the regular tools. Um, is satisfaction low with some of these other ones? I wouldn't say that it's low. I think we have a bigger hurdle at the awareness that the tools exist and initial adoption of them. Once a customer becomes engaged with more advanced tools, um, and in this case, I'd say personal finance management tools, tools which allow you to help spend, save, borrow, and plan in a way beyond just monitoring transactions, you know, when you're actively using those, satisfaction's high. It's just not enough customers are doing it yet. So they're just not aware of them, these tools? Uh, I think in a lot of cases, it is an awareness hurdle. And is this study just uh, uh, aimed at uh, the Canadian banks right now? This particular study is. We do have a companion study that does the similar measurements within the United States. Uh, what about the role of virtual assistants? How is that playing into everything? So virtual assistants, for those that use them, it's it's hard to really know. It's a bit of a chicken and the egg. Those who use virtual assistants are also more likely to use personal financial management tools. Or I could say those who use personal financial management tools are relying on virtual assistants in higher degrees. The goal of the virtual assistants is really an effort to make accessibility to information about your banking life or your credit card life uh, easier to manage, to help give you that gentle nudge in the right direction when you need information. And with the idea is if that virtual assistant makes that digital experience easier, then adoption increases, right? Um, that's the goal. And, you know, for those that are using it, it seems to be pretty successful, but usage numbers are still low. Uh, this was kind of an interesting thing, as you know, looking through some of the key points here. Uh, alerts play uh, a, a really important role in in 
influencing financial health? They really do. You know, so for many banks and credit card companies, they've set up alerts in a way that made the customer feel not intruded upon to begin with. They were all opt in. So you as a customer would have to go online and say, I really would like you to tell me if you suspect fraud. I'd like you to tell me if my account balance is too low and I'm in danger of paying a fee. But you'd have to go in and select those. What I think is starting to happen is that there is this need for some alerts that are opt out um, that help really prescribe to the customer what the next best action to either protect their personal security, uh, make their experience easier, or perhaps monitor their financial health, those types of alerts could be something that we maybe opt out of because then the bank can be a little more prescriptive in helping give us advice or guidance that impacts our lives. So you studied uh, uh, a bunch of the uh, the banks and financial institutions uh, here in Canada. Uh, so who were uh, at the top of the list when it comes to like the mobile bank, uh, mobile so app start, satisfaction? Yeah, yeah, banking and mobile apps CIBC and TD Canada Trust, they tie for the highest satisfaction for banking mobile app. Um, and, you know, they each they each perform quite strongly in that space. Uh, if we pivot and talk about the online banking experience, which is those of you who are, you know, logging in and doing an authentic authenticated experience with your bank online, um, the online banking highest performer is BMO. Um, they, they score the highest uh, for their experience. But they're all, if I pivot and then say credit card, do you want me to go there? Yeah, yeah. No, it, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting looking at uh, at this study. They're all kind of close in the big scheme of things, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot of differentiation between them. I think what happens here in terms of differentiation is um, not necessarily the digital functionality they may have built, but it can have some influence with the way in which they're communicating those awareness hurdles that I talked about, the marketing that they're doing to encourage tool usage. All of that combines into the digital experience because it, it helps the customer feel comfortable using these tools. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the credit card uh, apps out there. Who's, who's top? Who's top of the heap? Sure. So for the mobile app, um, American Express has the highest, you know, earns the highest satisfaction scores from its customers. And then, then if we think about the online experience, again, that authenticated experience, it's American Express again, but they are tied with National Bank of Canada. It was interesting looking at a couple of the other uh, credit card companies, uh, or mobile apps, uh, Tangerine, which I believe is a virtual uh, financial mm-hmm. uh, app and Canadian Tire. Yeah, they, uh, you know, they're they're part of our rankings, um, and you know they are much like all of the other competitors on this list that are aiming for everybody's business. They're recognizing the importance of not only having strong navigation, visual appeal, speed, but having the right information and content that can you know make them really the primary um, partner for for the customer. We're talking with Jennifer White from J.D. Powers. They've done a study on uh, the Canadian bank and credit card uh, apps, uh, just uh, seeing the overall satisfaction uh, that uh, Canadians have uh, with them. What, what is your, uh, your, your goal, your dream, your hope by doing this study? Is it to hopefully make uh, the, the banks uh, try harder to make us more satisfied? 
Well, so my initial goal was to ensure that the digital experience, I shouldn't say my initial goal, J.D. Power's initial goal was to make sure that the digital experience, either with the bank or the credit card company, as closely replicates, at least in the banking side, the in-person experience. So we wanted to have an omni-channel offering, a strong range of services that makes it easy and convenient to bank anytime, anywhere. Um, We also wanted to make sure that Um, The digital properties that are being built by our financial institutions are competitive, not only with each other, but with industries outside of banking that, you know, the degree to which they're able to personalize content to get the right message to us at the right time. That's something that, you know, the airlines do every time you check in. Um, You know, you get that immediate screen in your airline mobile app that tells you this is what's happening today. We wanted to bring that type of benchmarking to the marketplace so that the digital experience and satisfaction for all banks and credit cards increases over time. That was Jennifer Weiss with J.D. Powers talking about uh, Canadian banks and credit card uh Canadian uh, apps as well and overall satisfaction. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks, Mike. I love having the opportunity. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the app show. Mike and Gray here. Well, we're going to tell you about smart TV hacks. I think just about everyone now, if they want to actually watch content like Netflix and Amazon Prime and, you know, those streaming services, will have some sort of box or a TV that's got smart TV capabilities built right into it. And we wanted to give you our favorite smart TV hacks. And uh, there's actually quite a few of these. And uh, uh, let's just get started, Greg. Uh, Number one, you don't have to use the physical remote if you don't want to. There's a, a number of TVs and even on Apple TV that lets you download an app to control the TV. So this is great if you ever lose the remote, which happens way more than I want uh, in my home, uh, you're actually able to go to your smartphone and uh, use an app to actually control the interface. So Apple TV, there's an app uh, that you can download for that, uh, the remote app. And uh, for other TVs like Roku, they also have an app that you can download uh, that would uh, let you actually control the television. I've got two micro hacks for you here. One is if you've got an Apple TV, you can put the remote into your control center. So if you swipe down from the top right-hand corner, uh, when it's in your control center, you'll have a little remote button, which will bring the remote, remote app up right away. And the second micro hack is get a case and AirTag for your Apple TV remote. When it gets stuck in the couch cushions, you can make it beep. This has saved my life a number of times. I didn't know that. There's cases that would let you put uh, the, the Apple remote and an AirTag in it? Yes, indeed. They're available on Amazon and at major electronics retailers. Uh, another hack uh, that's uh, available, I, I haven't tried it myself yet, uh, but uh, maybe sometimes late at night uh, you're watching TV down in the family room or, or even in the bedroom and you don't want to wake up uh, family members, roommates, or friends. Uh, you can actually uh, switch the audio from your smart TV to your, your smartphone. Uh, with a, uh, a smart TV app hack. A uh, couple ways to, to do this. There are some smart TVs uh, out there. Roku makes uh, a few of them, and even the smart TV boxes uh, that uh, on the remote itself has a little uh, earphone jack. You can plug in headphones to the remote to listen uh, to the uh, the audio. But there's another app called Tunity that works with a number of smart TVs and plugins. It's available for iOS and uh, Android devices that'll let you route the audio from the smart TV to your phone. That uh, will then let you listen through your phone. And again, obviously, you can hook up a a pair of Bluetooth uh, uh, earpieces uh, to that. But also Apple TV, I know that you can hook up uh, your AirPods, for example. 
you can actually hook up two sets of AirPods, which is really great. If you've got, you know, mom and dad and baby sleeping, that's a really handy way to do it. And with a Y cable, you can actually run two sets of headphones off of the Roku as well. Another hack, and I think this is important, you know, if you've just picked up a new smart TV, always check your settings uh, for your display. Like go into the display settings to make sure that it's uh, properly uh, aligned for the size of screen that you have. And you'd be surprised at how often it, it isn't, right? There's also a setting called motion blur that you want to turn off. Um, in a lot of cases, it turns on that soap opera mode, which I cannot stand. It, yeah, uh, it makes, the, the, makes uh, the, the TV shows you're watching look almost too real. Yeah, yeah. They, they look like videotape as opposed to something shot on film. Turn that off, you're going to have a much better experience, much closer to what the director intended. That said, if you're watching sports, leave that on because it actually does look a heck of a lot better for sports. But I find that a lot of TVs, they, they have that... Um, um, just defaulted to that to that mode so you know i I have so many friends that you know buy these you know big expensive tvs and like my my shows just look weird yeah and in a lot of cases what we have found also is that sometimes the integrated smart tv does not have a way to turn it off only a way to turn it down if that's the case get yourself a roku or an apple tv and stop using that integrated smart tv feature because it's not the way that the director intended and you're actually not getting the best value out of your television this is interesting, and I, I didn't know you could do this because I've just been downloading shows or using the streaming services, uh, Gray. But you can create your own film library from your, your digital uh, Blu-rays. So I know a lot of people still are buying the Blu-ray discs because they like to have the physical copies. But in a lot of cases, they actually come with a, uh, uh, the rights for a digital version as well. And you can actually uh, upload those uh, to, for example, your, uh, your iTunes account and Apple TV. So I had, I had this happen when I was buying DVDs, and it was coming with a digital copy of the DVD. Apple did something really cool a couple of years back, and they upgraded a ton of my digital copies to Blu-ray, and then again to 4K in some cases. Uh, there are some that didn't. So my version of Star Trek 2009, it's still a 480p digital copy <laughs> that I will never, ever, ever watch. So if you do have digital versions uh, of uh, uh, the rights to the digital version, if you've got a, a, a Blu-ray, uh, look into it. You know, typically there's some instructions that came uh, with that, uh, but uh, you can also uh, Google instructions on how to upload those to your uh, iTunes and iCloud uh, account. Another uh, hack here, uh, a lot of these smart TV boxes uh, have the ability to do gaming. Uh, the Apple TV box uh, can do it. Uh, there's also the uh, Amazon Fire TV platform that's built into a number of uh, televisions now. You can also get Fire TV sticks and uh, a Fire TV cube and use the Amazon cloud gaming service called uh, Luma. Is it Luna? No, it's Luna. Uh, and basically, you can use a lot of the off-the-shelf uh, controllers out there, including ones from Xbox and PlayStation. Yeah, if you've you got a spare controller, you can actually Bluetooth pair it with both devices, you know, your Xbox and your smart TV, and just move it back and forth between the two. A lot of these games are actually really cool. So it's, it's worth your time to go check them out and see if there's something fun there for you. Another uh, thing we do in the office uh, with our, uh, we've got, uh, you know, televisions around in the different meeting rooms, and as I think a lot of businesses uh, do. And uh, what we did originally is that we purchased Apple TV uh, boxes for them. But a lot of the TVs now actually have AirPlay, Apple AirPlay built into them. And this is a great thing for doing presentations. So, you know, remember in the old days, uh, Gray, you'd have to hook up, uh, you know, an HDMI cable from your laptop, you know, up to the TV, uh, you know, to make that all work. Well, now we can just wirelessly play that uh, from our, our Macs. 
And if and, if you don't have a Mac, there's an app called Parrot that would let you do the same thing on Windows machines. And it actually works. You know, the um, the, the, the uh, conference room mode is actually quite easy to use because it'll put that AirPlay code right on the screen for you, make it very easy as long as you're on the same network or you're within range of the Apple TV in a lot of cases. You can just punch that code in when you go to AirPlay and it will allow you access to, how, to, that, to that TV. So no more searching for cables, no more weird dongles to try to connect. It literally is just send that signal right to that TV and you get that beautiful presentation all ready to go. Yeah, so if you do have uh, you know some smart TVs in, in your office, check to see if they have AirPlay capability. Uh, if not, uh, you know there's a lot of these cheap, inexpensive uh, you know streaming sticks. I know Roku, they give you the capability to have AirPlay. So you could just buy an inexpensive Roku stick and basically upgrade that TV to be uh, you know a, a wireless airplay tv as well for your for your macs in your office and like i said if you've got windows machines you can use that uh, that parrot app i think it costs a little bit of money but it just makes it so much easier to get that content up on the screen and you don't have all those wires either we would be remiss if we didn't mention the chromecast because all the folks out there who are our google fans you know the chromecast does do a great job as well because you can cast different tabs and different apps uh, pretty much the same sort of thing uh, just with the casting instead of an airplane uh, another hack, we're talking about smart TV hacks because I think most of us have some type of smart TV or a smart TV stick or box hooked up to our uh, our television is, uh, you know, if you have guests that come in and are using your TV. So, for example, if you have an Airbnb, you know, typically you'd, you'd have like some sort of, uh, you know, you'd have Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know, so your guests could uh, watch that. Well, that's not always good because I know a lot of people just use their own their own accounts for that. And that just gets kind of crazy, right? Because, you know, apps like Netflix, they, they give you suggestions based on what you're watching, right? So if you've got some random people watching different shows that you wouldn't watch when you want to use Netflix, uh, you know, at your home or, or back at your place, then it's just not going to be kind of customized for you. Uh, a lot of these uh, smart TV, uh, you know, interfaces now let you have a guest mode. Yeah, and so basically what I've done is I've locked off my, uh, my, my accounts that I use personally with a pin, uh, prevent people from logging into those and then using those and just have the guest mode sitting right there. So it's, it's the easy choice. It's the one that they have access to and when I don't have to worry about them doing things to my account that I would not be happy with. My next uh, smart TV hack, we're talking all about uh, smart TV hacks here on the app show, is use your voice. A lot of the the new uh, interfaces, uh, and I have to say Amazon's done a phenomenal job on this. I have a, an Amazon uh, Fire TV Cube, Gray, and it's changed mm-hmm. my life. I just, I love it. Uh, I basically hooked it up to my my television, and and now because it has Alexa built into it, I can just use my voice to to navigate to the different uh, streaming apps, or even turn the TV on and off, and I love it. I I don't have to worry about searching for my ro- my remote when I want to turn the the TV on or off, and I just love having that freedom. Really, really great stuff. I, I know for myself personally, I'm using the Siri remote, or I'm using. Hey, so-and-so, don't want to say the word because it's going to trigger my phone. Uh, but that's been a really great way for me to turn it into a movie mode with a scene, which basically that scene is set up right now to turn off the lights, turn on the television, and um, get things into the app that I want them to get to. So sort of you know, one command gets you into the, into the movie space right away. We've been talking about some of our, uh, our favorite uh, smart uh, TV hacks. Uh, you know, again, most of us have some sort of uh, uh, smart uh, TV uh, Another one here, this was kind of an interesting one. You can actually 
create, edit, and share Microsoft documents on your smart TV. There's a number of Microsoft Office apps that are uh, available, uh, you know, for example, in the Google Play Store, if you've got, uh, you know, like an Android TV box. Yeah, I know for myself personally, I've really wanted my 75-inch um, television to be just nothing but spreadsheets. So this for me is something I'm definitely going to have to try when I get home. Maybe. And I, I'm going to give my final smart TV hack here, uh, Gray. And, uh, you know, we've got a, quite a few of these uh, today. Uh, you know, turn your TV into a big screensaver. You know, you can hook up a lot of these smart TV uh, boxes and, and televisions uh, to your favorite, uh, you know, cloud photos account. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, on the Apple TV or using iCloud, uh, you know, on Amazon, they've got Amazon uh, photos. Uh, and again, just depends on what smart TV box or interface you have. But hooking it up to your uh, your favorite photos uh, account, uh, you know, a cloud account, it uh, it gives you a great uh, slideshow for screensaver when uh, when you're not watching. It's really great during parties. You know, if you've got a specific album, if you're celebrating someone's birthday or an anniversary, create an album with those pictures, put that up as a screensaver, and it's just a wonderful thing to have going uh, when you've got folks over visiting. That's all the time we have left for the App Show. I want to thank Gray for joining me today. This is Mike and Gray signing off for the App Show. We'll see you again next time.